a podcast, resource, community, and digital media platform. This is Shmoney Radio. Good morning, Shmoney honeys, and welcome back to Shmoney Radio. I'm your host, Anastasia Barbuzzi, and last week, I introduced you to the concept of this two-part series on menstrual equality. This week, we'll conclude the series with the help of Ellen Mihalovich, the founder of Gemwell, a femhealth marketplace focused on vaginal health, periods, pregnancy, postpartum, and pleasure. Before the idea of a femhealth marketplace came into the picture, Ellen founded La Belfort, a platform that fostered authentic conversations about periods that cut through all the branding and the medical jargon on the internet. Eventually, it morphed into Gemwell, and Ellen will give you all the details on the transition in her own introduction to this episode since we actually recorded it prior to her switching things over. Nevertheless, it's full of valuable information about how the accessibility of menstrual products affects people who menstruate. Did you know that one in five women in the U.S. are faced with difficult decisions like whether they should supply themselves menstrual products or feed their families every month? Now you do. In our chat, Ellen discusses the lack of federal laws surrounding the disclosure of ingredients and materials used in menstrual products, which also factored into her decision to start Gemwell, access to education about reproductive health, and the link between systemic racism and uterine fibroids. Like I mentioned, before we get into the meat of this episode, Ellen will give a quick explainer on why she transitioned to La Belfort. After that, you'll hear a short intermission, and then we'll dive right in. So, if you're ready, adjust your earphones and make sure that Bluetooth connection is strong. Let's get to it. One of the things that I focused heavily on with La Belfort was the checkups, and those were voyeuristic interviews with real women about their period experiences. In those conversations, we talked not only about periods, but women's femme health journeys in general, whether that was fertility, birth control, pregnancies, and focused a lot on the products that women were using when it comes to their periods and the emotional and physical symptoms that all women deal with throughout their life. It was through these conversations and seeing the wide range of products that women rely on throughout their lifetime that I saw that there was something missing in terms of a place for women to go where they can find, discover, and shop for these products from multiple brands. Because right now, there are so many brands that focus on femme health really for the first time ever, even in the last five years, it's just grown exponentially. So it's really exciting, but it can also be overwhelming for women um, because we never had options until now. And we also, our needs change so much throughout our life. So I decided to transition La Belfort to Gemwell. I created Gemwell because I believe that the solutions to so many of the femme health issues that we all go through in our lifetime exist and that finding them should be the easiest part of our journey. As someone myself who spent countless hours playing detective, I really want to create a space where women feel empowered and supported to take their health into their own hands. 
Gemwell is a fem health marketplace. It is a judgment-free space where science is trusted, womanhood is celebrated, and there are products for all realms of fem health, not just periods. So products for pleasure will live alongside products for periods, postpartum, and vaginal health. Not all fem health products are created equal, and so Gemwell will vet each product so women don't have to spend so long playing detective, like I just said. So you don't need to spend so long reading the reviews. You can save money buying products that you know are actually for the symptoms that you are experiencing, and so you're not spending money on things that you don't need. And one of the things that I'm most excited about is that Gemwell is going to make it really easy to find what it is you're looking for and help you create a customized femhealth routine. So you will be able to browse products by physical and emotional symptoms, phase of life, and there'll also be curated edits, for example, period essentials. So I actually started my career um, not in the wellness or health space, but in fashion. Um, I did my undergraduate degree in business, and then I went to Parsons in New York City. So that kind of started my whole fashion career. I worked in various roles within that industry and um, interior design industry for about seven years. Um, And I really enjoyed certain aspects, but I became, you know, disheartened and uninspired over time. Um, I was catering to a very particular high-end clientele, and I just didn't feel like what I was doing was meaningful. Um, And the time that I was putting in and what I was getting out of it just was a mismatch. And so periods are something that I've personally struggled with over the years and had become really passionate about just in my personal life. My sisters and my girlfriends and my coworkers would come to me and ask questions about their periods or hormones and just general wellness. And I I really enjoyed being a sounding board for those women in my life. But, you know, it it was more of a hobby or an interest, I guess, than a career path. Um, because obviously I never studied health or medicine and I knew that I didn't want to go back to school to do that. So I've always been a pretty active, healthy person. Um, And I moved from New York City to San Francisco four years ago. And the culture in that city is very focused on health and wellness. And, you know, they work less, it's a little bit more relaxed. And so I finally had the time for the first time really in my adult life to kind of explore that side of my interests. And I was really looking for an exit from the creative world that I was in. And so I did a first step and actually signed up to be trained in Stott Pilates, which is like a classical Pilates training. And that took a few months and I became Matt and Reformer certified. And that was really rewarding for me. And my biggest takeaway from that experience was how empowered I felt to finally have like tools to help someone who might be in pain or in need. 
And so that kind of, I guess, built up my confidence to the point where I felt like, okay, maybe I can actually get into the space and figure out a niche area where I don't necessarily have to go back to school or become a doctor. And so my, you know, the idea for La Belfort, it, I wouldn't say it was a light bulb moment. Like it really was pen to paper, making lists, figuring out where my interests and where my skills could fit in the space. And I wanted to ultimately create something that I felt would help someone who's like me, who has difficulties with their period. Um, and I launched La Belle Fort in June this past summer, and it's been really exciting so far. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the journey to founding La Belle Fort is so inspiring because, you know, periods are one of those things that I think a lot of women struggle with pretty silently. So for you to bring this platform into the world where it can be more of a shared discussion, I think is just so great. So what made you want to open this type of dialogue surrounding the female reproductive system in the first place? I mean, we heard a little bit about your journey to getting to this point, but to really like making that a part of your brand and pushing forward with that mission of like, this is going to be a conversation space for all women. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, and never have really considered myself a boundary pushing person. Like I tend to follow the rules, Um, (laughs) but I, I do get upset when it comes to the societal norms as they're applied to women and, and women's health. And it's just something that really fires me up. Um, So when I decided to enter the space, obviously there's a ton of research involved and just reading the content that was already out there. And what I felt was that the conversations that I was having with the women in my life, whether it was my sisters or my coworkers or or my girlfriends, or even the men in my life, like in my relationships, none of those conversations and their level of authenticity, I, I didn't find that out there. I I felt like it was still very branded. You know, a lot of the content out there is from brands um, or or very medically based. Um, There's been so much progress over the last few years when it comes to female empowerment, like obviously the Me Too movement and, and so much more. And in my opinion, the most thought provoking conversations about periods were happening offline, like I like I just said, between girlfriends. And so my goal in having this type of dialogue is just to try and match that level of authenticity, but obviously with the research to back it up. One thing that you've been talking about recently, especially on your blog, is menstrual equity. So can you define that for everyone listening, what exactly menstrual equality is? Yeah. So menstrual equality was a phrase or is a phrase, sorry, that was coined by Jennifer Weiss-Wolf. So she's a huge um, advocate in the period space. She's just very, very cool. She wrote a book called Periods Gone Public. Uh, sorry, period gone public. So if, you know, if you're looking to learn more <laughs> about the space, that's a great starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that her phrase menstrual equity actually evolved into this movement. And what it means in simple terms is just equal access to hygiene products, um, feminine hygiene products or period care products, as people say, um, the word feminine is kind of being phased out, I think. 
access to these products is something that, you know, most of us in the Western world, we, we don't think about, you know, you turn 13, 14, whatever, you get your period and your mom hands you some tampons, pads, and, and you don't, you, you know, you have access to that your whole life. Um, it's just like having access to toilet paper when you go to the bathroom. So in, it's one of those things that you don't really think about unless you're without it. And then if, if you are without it, obviously it's very top of mind. Um, and obviously that can be extremely uncomfortable. So when women lack access to these products, you know, it can lead to obviously health issues and infection and um, low self-worth and everything like that. But it also can lead to missing school, missing work, or having to make the decision between having those products or feeding your family. So, you know, periods happen on a monthly basis. If you are facing this battle on a monthly basis, it can, it's a huge detriment to, to your life. And we think that this might be a third world problem, but it's really not. Um, one in five women in urban areas in the U S experience this and menstrual equity can also be, or it can be expanded, I guess, to say that equal access to these products, but also equal access to education about these products and your reproductive health. So that means to know what's in the products. And right now there is no federal laws that require full disclosure of the ingredients uh, in these products. And, and that's something that we deserve. And, and that's something that I feel very passionate about as well. It's kind of crazy that there are none um, because it is something that, you know, sits inside people for up to six, eight hours a day, however long, um, and to not know or be able to know exactly what you're putting inside your body is pretty scary. But in tune with, you know, the uprising of especially the Black Lives Matter movement, you recently published an article on your website entitled The Link Between Systemic Racism and Uterine Fibroids that said studies have shown Black women are three times more likely to suffer from fibroids due to several social and economic factors. Can you tell everyone a bit more about what is causing the disproportionate effects on Black women? Yeah. So first I'll just explain what uterine fibroids are. Um, They're non-cancerous tumors that affect 40% of women in their reproductive years. And they grow within the tissue of the uterus and they range in size from a bean to a melon. Um, And so like a lot of women's health issues, what actually causes uterine fibroids is, is very unclear, which is obviously crazy because it affects so many women. But to understand why Black women suffer disproportionately from fibroids, in in my analysis at least, it's we need to examine certain social and economic factors such as education, employment, and income that are linked to poor overall general health. Um, These areas are all areas in which the Black community is oppressed due to the systemic racism our society is built on. And These factors can contribute to symptoms such as stress, high blood pressure, or obesity. And health professionals point out that women who are plagued by these issues are much more likely to have fibroids. So as you can see, it's kind of like a 360 situation. 
Um, and, and sadly, fibroids are really just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Black women suffering disproportionately. Like other examples of female health issues that they also suffer disproportionately from are um, sexually transmitted diseases, cervical cancer, and uh, maternal mortality. Going off of that, what are some ways that we can help support the movement for menstrual quality within that community right now? Yeah, so I think that the first and foremost step really is just to begin to educate yourself on what it means to be a non-Black person of color and what menstrual equity means and what the movement stands for. Um, Equal access to products and education and understanding your reproductive health is a cause that that anyone can and should get involved in. So in terms of educating yourself, um, I highly recommend the book Period Gone Public by Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, like I mentioned before. I think it's a really great introduction to the leaders in the movement of menstrual equity and just breaking down you know, how periods have been kind of talked about over time and how it's transformed up up until now. And then, so education, educating yourself is kind of the first step. Um, The book, there's also, you know, you can learn a lot through social media. I wrote down a few great follows. So there's Hate the Dot, there's Code Red Collective, um, and Bloody Good Period. These are all great missions and you can just learn a lot literally by just clicking follow. There's also a campaign called hashtag tax free period, which is led by Lola, which is a brand um, in the space and Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, the author of Period Gone Public. And they are fighting for free tax free uh, menstrual products in the States. Um, secondly, another way to get involved is obviously to donate and volunteer. So I I wrote down a few places and I can also link this on our Instagram as well. All of these things. So Uh, thank you for sharing them because I will definitely include them in the show notes as well so that people can just go scroll when they get to the episode and kind of click on each one. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. So Mm -hmm. period equity, happy period, the Homeless Period Project, I Support the Girls, and Girls Helping Girls, period. These are all wonderful causes. And then thirdly, just be a conscious consumer. So buy your menstrual products and brands that donate to help the cause of menstrual equity. Um, A lot of brands, especially newer brands in this space, like everyone is involved in some way or another of giving back. So I just wrote down two, but this is not a complete list. There's so many, but Cora and Lola are two of my personal favorite brands. I just love their products. So Cora, with every purchase, they provide pads and health education to a girl in need. And Lola, like I said, they are fighting to end tampon tax and they donate a bunch of products to I Support the Girls, which is, again, one of those places I mentioned donating or volunteering. And then lastly, vote. Um, vote for people who support these causes. You know, it's different in Canada than it is in the States, but do your research and let your voice be heard. Yeah, thank you again for sharing all of those um, wonderful causes and organizations and people to follow. But like you said before, anyone can learn about these issues and fight for these kinds of health issues. 
So for all the men listening out there, what would you say to someone who believes that menstrual equity is purely a woman's issue? Yeah. So, I mean, menstrual equity is a woman's issue in the sense that it directly affects us and our daily life and our dignity. But as we know, it's not just women that get their period, uh, trans men. And I'm just going to break this down because mm-hmm. uh, I'm, you know, educating myself as I, you know, walk through this space. And I think that a lot of people are trying to do the same. So trans men, a man assigned female at birth, non-binary, not, inc- not exclusively masculine or feminine and intersex uh, individuals who that means they're born with reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't fit the standard definition of male or female. All of these individuals are affected, um, if not more so than women by menstrual equity. Um, they, you know, they're treated absolutely horribly just in the day to day of going to the bathroom and, and changing their tampons. They don't have obviously any of those in public restrooms. They are berated um, just going to the drugstore and purchasing these products. Obviously, none of these products are, you know, they don't look like they're for them. It's just, you know, it's not just a women's issue. And obviously, anything that affects women also affects men, maybe not directly, but definitely indirectly. Um, So yeah, I would just say that that is definitely not the case. (laughs) It's everyone's issue. Definitely. And thank you for breaking that down. In terms of affordability, though, when it comes to better products, I mean, we already mentioned that it's very hard to know what exactly is in the menstrual products that you're buying. Natural and organic items often come with higher price tags. I know when I was living in Toronto, for example, any natural market I'd walk into organic tampons for like 10 less for three or four dollars more. And in the wellness market, you know, we're seeing higher numbers of sexual and feminine hygiene products being introduced to consumers. But those promises of natural and organic come with those higher price tags. So where would you say as, you know, a brand founder, a new brand founder, brands are missing the mark exactly? Yeah, so, so I don't, necessarily see this as brands missing the mark. I think that we live in a world where there's fast fashion, fast food, Amazon, and we have become accustomed to paying very low prices for things. Um, If you go shopping in a store and you see a shirt that you like, you then come home and search online and find the discount code and, or, you know, you buy it at the lowest possible price. So in my opinion, these low prices, you know, they they come with huge costs on the back end. Um, to name a few, like climate change, child labor, and and low quality ingredients, um, or in the case of a shirt, like low quality thread. You know, the truth is that it costs a lot of money to run a company legitimately. Um, you hire employees, you provide them with healthcare benefits, you buy high quality raw materials from an ethical provider and everyone gets paid fairly. And at the end of the day, like a business is only a business if, if it's able to pay its bills, otherwise it wouldn't exist. And so I think that, you know, the question really is do lower income people deserve access to, and education about natural and organic products. And and the answer is absolutely, of course, we all deserve that. Um, But, 
you know, we're not there yet with this, this space. And that's just the sad reality. I think that um, other industries are making a lot of progress. Like one example um, is the food industry, you know, and it's also just another kind of example of talking about, like I said, fast food and, you know, having high quality ingredients or raw goods, you know, it's not uncommon for locally made whole organic foods to cost more than fast food. And, you know, the question again is, should those locally made whole organic foods be more accessible to low income families? Yes, you know, absolutely. And how, how can we do that? Like, I think that the food industry in New York is making a lot of progress. They have um, fresh connect checks, which are, you know, food stamps, and they can actually be used at farmers markets, which is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so we need more progress in the period space for something like this. But I don't think that the issue necessarily that these goods, I mean, obviously it's an issue that they cost more, but the reality is, is that if you're making a high quality product, it costs money to do that. And unless the government is subsidizing the cost of making these products, which would be great, but they're not doing that. Um, They cost more to make and therefore they cost more to buy and everyone has to be paid fairly. And so how can we get those products in the hands of the people that need them? And I think that that's kind of a big question mark right now in this space. I think that there's a lot of brands like Cora and Lore that are working towards that, but um, we're not there yet. Thank you again, Ellen, and just wishing you luck with everything with all your endeavors in the future. Thanks so much. And you too. If you took something meaningful away from this episode, please consider smashing that subscribe button on whichever podcast platform you listen through and maybe even check out the ratings and review section too. If anything, send word down the grapevine. I really do appreciate it. And as always, please see the show notes for more details on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. This is Shmoney Radio. Is this thing on?